0: Hello. So, as has just said, I'm reading from Genesis chapter 16, which can be found on page 16 of the church Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So, after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she was pregnant, she, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said... I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael.
1: Well, good morning. Should we pray before we start? Father, thank you so much for your word, which we've just heard. And as we continue to hear from you now, Lord, please help us to trust you and know and that you are faithful. And Lord, we need your help, so we pray that you'd help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for having us back. I mean, it's great to be back. It was beautiful this morning, driving down the motorway, coming over the hill and seeing the sea stretched out, blue sea, blue sky. What a place you live in. It's beautiful. Um, and we've been speaking about Vietnam a little bit this morning and we'll hear more about Vietnam later but when I first met Jasmine, my wife and we were actually on a short-term trip to China um, as part of a small team and as a 20-year-old, this was my first experience of Asia Um, and we were a couple of weeks into the trip and I'd lost weight and my advice to any of you is before you go to Asia learn how to use chopsticks first And that saves troubles. Anyway, we just had a day out by a huge, beautiful lake. The colours were the same as as they are today. And and it was time for dinner. And a Chinese man came up to our group. And he started encouraging us to come to his restaurant. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like as Brits, we're quite a sceptical bunch. Um, And so I was quite dubious about this guy. Um, But we all followed him towards his promised restaurant. And as we left the well-trodden, well-lit paths and and ventured into the the dark alleyways of the city, I wasn't sure what to make of him. What sort of man was he? Were we being silly, trusting him? Following him into town with no idea where we were really going? Well, my doubts were proved very wrong. We had a delicious meal um, and a great time. But it's an important question, isn't it? When we're following someone, what sort of person are they? Will they deliver what they're promising? As Christians, followers of Jesus, we have to answer those questions about God. What is God like? Will he deliver what he's promising? And it's easy to have an answer when life's going well and everything seems to be working out all right. And, but even for mature Christians, doubts can creep in. And we've just heard in our reading how this works out for Sarah. And before we jump in to criticize her, let's just take a moment to stand in her shoes. She's 75 years old. She's lived as a wanderer, following Abram around with no permanent home. Imagine, 75 and you're living in a tent. She's survived famine. She's been a refugee in Egypt. She sent her husband off to fight, not knowing whether he's going to come back alive. And knowing that if he doesn't, she's probably going to end up as a slave. But her biggest problem, as you know, is that she can't have children. And that's huge. Not just because of the ache of childlessness. Um, which any family who are struggling to conceive know all too well. But Sarai is supposed to give birth to Abram's son. God's promise to Abram in chapter 15 was that his offspring would be as many as the stars in the sky. God's promise to Sarai's husband depends on her having a baby and she can't do it. Isn't it frustrating when we know we need to do something and it's just impossible for us to do it? You know, to be fluent in a language, apparently you need about 10,000 vocabulary words. 10,000! Three months in for us, we were adding 10 or 20 words a day, and 10,000 felt a long way away. It's frustrating. When we want to be sharing the gospel, we want to be speaking truth to people, but I'm still struggling even to have people understand me when I say my name. Sarah is feeling that same sort of frustration But it's much deeper. Verse 2 is the first time Sarai speaks in the Bible. Let's listen to her tone together. She says, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. The Lord has kept me from having children. Do you hear how she's feeling? I need to have children and I can't. God isn't letting me. If we ask Sarah at this point, what is God like? My guess is, and she might not want to say this out loud, but my guess is, deep down, she's doubting his goodness. The Lord has kept me from having children. She's not trusting that God loves her. She doesn't know his overflowing generosity. She's forgotten that God is the most joyful being in the whole universe. She thinks that really behind it all, he's stingy. He's looking out for himself and his favourites and not for me. You can't trust God when he has the power to keep his promises, but he's made it impossible for me. I'm going to have to figure this out on my own. I'm going to have to get this blessing by myself. Now, does this sound at all familiar from what we know of the rest of Genesis? Because verses 1 to 4 of this passage seem to me to be going out of their way to remind us what happened in the Garden of Eden. Stick with me, because this plays out in our own own lives too. So let's look back over verses 1 to 4. A woman doubts God's goodness and thinks he's withholding good things from her. So she makes her own plan to get what God won't let her have. Verse 3, she takes... And gives to her husband, who wordlessly goes along with her. And they sin because they swallowed the same lie that Satan fed Eve in the garden. God is keeping good things from you because he doesn't want you to enjoy them. God isn't good. He doesn't want to bless you. Friends, we have to know what God is really like. Because Satan wants you to believe that God is stingy. He knows that if he can make you doubt God's promises and his goodness, then you'll rely on yourself and not on God. And then you're sunk in sin. When is it that your heart is most tempted to unbelief? We're great at making excuses for ourselves. I am, anyway. You know, Eve was thinking, it's good fruit. It looks great. And it's going to make me wise. And Sarah is saying, it's impossible for me, but if this womb won't bear children, then my husband needs another woman to do it for him. It's the obvious thing to do. It's what any woman would do in my situation. Satan wants you to believe that God is stingy. If he can persuade you of that, he knows you'll reach out and grab and whatever it is that looks good to you, even if you know it's not what God wants. teenagers, and you know how this works from school, how much easier is it to listen to a teacher when you know they really care about you and not just your grades? How much harder is it to behave well for the teacher that one person who everyone knows really hates children and they just want to give out detentions all the time? Satan wants you to believe that God is stingy, but look where it ends up. Sarai and Abraham's plan unravels as soon as they got what they wanted. Verse 4 Abram slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. Self-effort that's based on unbelief quickly unravels into despising, domineering, and deserting. The family is fracturing, and the baby they both wanted so much is being carried away into the desert. Satan wants you to believe that God is stingy. Don't be fooled. You'll want to make your own plans. To grab what God's not giving. Don't do it. It won't end well. It will only end in pain and bitterness. The antidote to unbelief is faith. In who God really is. And we have a God who has shown that he won't keep back anything that he has promised. Because now... When Sarai and Abram's plans have unraveled and pregnant Hagar is running away through the desert back to Egypt, now God steps in. So what's God really like? He's the God who sees me. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. Our God loves to sit himself down beside desperate people. Have you ever had an experience like that? For me, it's those times when there's been bad news and I'm sitting on my bed at night with my tummy in a knot. And time again, I'll pick up my Bible and find myself reading a verse which speaks just into my situation. And I know he's here with me. And peace floods in. And prayer pours out. And more peace floods in. He's here. He sees me. He's found me, and he loves me. And I don't think I'm the only one in this room who's had experiences like that. Not every time, but enough that I know that he's the God who sees me. What verses has God given you when you were desperate? Why don't you ask someone over coffee later, especially if you're one of the younger ones in the room? Ask someone who's got a couple of decades on you. What encouragement has God given you when you were desperate? And those of you who've got a good few decades on me, may I encourage you to share those times when the Lord found you. I bet there are some wonderful stories in this room of God seeing and finding his people. And wouldn't those testimonies be a protection for us next time Satan tries to fool us that God is stingy? Well, back to the passage. God finds Hagar, and then he promises to erase the last few months and points out the camel waiting by the well to carry her all the way back to Egypt where she's going to live happily ever after. Oh no, that's not it. Sin still has consequences. And it's hard for Hagar she probably didn't ask to be a slave. And she probably didn't have any choice about the baby part of the plan either. She's bearing the consequences, literally, of Abram and Sarai's unbelief. And hear what God actually says to her. In verse 8 Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. That's a hard command. Hagar has to face up to her own sin, her despising of Sarai and repent. She needs to go back and say sorry and ask for forgiveness and submit to Sarai. But listen to what God says next. Verse ten. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now I love this. Chapter sixteen isn't anyone's finest hour. Sarai is grasping after promises in her own strength. Abram joins in, and the best he can do when Sarah suggests this plan to him is go, "Mm, all right. And he sleeps with his wife's slave. And then let Sarai bully the poor woman who's carrying his child. Hagar is the victim. But she didn't try to hide her hatred of Sarai. Chapter 16 really isn't the finest hour for the family of faith. But after all this unbelief and trying to grasp God's promises with human scheming and family breakdown, God is still unshakably faithful to Abram's family. What's God really like? He's the God who keeps his promises no matter what. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God promised Abram a starry sky full of descendants. And Hagar now is getting swept up into that promise too. Again, he says, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. This is one of those moments where you've sent the kids to bed and you've sat down downstairs. you brought out the marks and sparks. Ultimate triple layer chocolate fudge decadent cake which you promised to your spouse. And the candles are lit and the music's on and you're just sitting down and getting the knife out to cut in and you hear thud, 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 the feet coming down the stairs. I'm not sleepy. And instead of using your strict voice and telling them you've got to stay in bed, you put your arms around your children and you get them a plate. It's grace. It's not deserved. It's the very opposite of stingy. God generously increases his promise to Abram, so that Hagar carrying his child becomes part of it too. He's the God who keeps his promises. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him God Heard, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He's the God who sees. Verse 12 He will be a wild donkey of the man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Sin still has consequences. Hagar despised Sarai and Ishmael will live in hostility against everyone. But do you spot the hint of hope there towards all his brothers? There are more offspring coming. God is going to keep his promise to Abram no matter what. And Hagar gets what God is like because she's seen him. And despite being a lowly Egyptian female slave, she actually becomes the only person in the whole Bible to give a God a name. Verse 13 She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Well of the Living One Who Sees Me. It is still there between Kadesh. And, Bered. and at the end of this chapter, the chosen family is back on track as they all respond in faith and obedience and to what God told Hagar. Now, isn't that interesting as well? That um, sometimes God doesn't, sometimes God encourages us through other people. When I was talking before about those experiences of, of being desperate and then knowing God with us, knowing God and um, encouraging us that He's the one who sees. Abraham and Sarai didn't get that at this point. Hagar did. But they heard of the God who sees them through Hagar. And by the end, chapter 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. So what do we take home from this passage? In those desperate moments When your task feels impossible, what's God like? Well, Satan wants you to believe that God is stingy. He wants you to reach out and grab what God isn't giving. So he's going to try persuading you that God doesn't really know you. He doesn't really care about you. And he's holding his best back from you. But no, God is the one who sees you. He's the God who sits down next to you when you're desperate and gives you his full attention. Many years later, Jesus would sit himself down next to a well and find a woman there whose relationships were a mess. And he'd offer her living water and she would run in joy to her village. He sees me. He told me everything I've ever done. Friends, in those moments of desperation, God loves to find you and speak to you. He's the God who sees you. So will you tell someone over coffee how he's shown that to you in the past? And he's the God who keeps his promises, even when it means he has to give away his most precious thing. Even when our sin nails Jesus on the cross. Our God is not stingy. He's a thundering waterfall of generosity and grace. He is determined to win for Abraham, that starry sky full of descendants. And if you're trusting in Jesus today, then you're living proof that he is unshakably faithful. He's the God who sees you. He's the God who keeps his promises. So friends, let's fight unbelief with faith in the God of Hagar, the God of Abram, and the God of Sarai. Can we do that now? I'd like us to spend a few minutes listening to one another, sharing what God is like. Can I invite us all to stand up if you're able? And maybe there's a verse which you hold close in your heart that God has used to show you what he's like. Maybe that came to mind when I was speaking of those experiences earlier. Or perhaps you just want to shout out a word that describes him. Let's do that now. Short sentences, nice and loud, so that we can hear and be encouraged. And then I'll wrap up in prayer. But what is our God like? Over to you. He is faithful. Hmm. He is the fountain of life. In his life, we see light.
0: Hmm. He keeps trying to keep the eye out of the end. God is trying to
1: strength. do the of the best, Caps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. We could go on and on, couldn't we? Um, let me let me pray for us now. Father, thank you so much that You are the God who sees us, and You're the God who keeps His promises. Thank You, Lord, for all the testimonies in this room full of saints, of the times where You have rescued us, and You have um, kept us and found us in, in our low places. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Trustworthy, faithful, good. A thundering waterfall of generosity and grace. Father, build us up in our faith. Help us to trust you. Help us to resist Satan when he tries to tell lies about you. And Lord, every day may we know more and more how good you are, that you see us and you keep your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.